as we concluded, Jesus had died on the cross. It was Friday. And as Jesus died there on the cross, he was dead. And after he died, the scripture tells us the following things happened. Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus from John chapter 3, secured his body from Pilate. They prepared his body with ointments and spices and wrapped it and put a burial cloth upon it and placed the body of Jesus in a tomb. That was Friday. On Saturday, there was the observance of the Passover. Now, Passover begins at sundown on Friday, the beginning of the Jewish day. So sundown on Friday, all the way through the, the day on Saturday, the celebration of Passover was taking place. Jesus was in the tomb. The disciples were despondent. They were sad. On Sunday, the story picks up. Really early in the morning, the story picks up. The Roman guards had been stationed at the tomb. Matthew chapter uh, 26, 27 tells us that Roman soldiers had been stationed at the tomb. They were to guard the tomb to keep people from breaking in. What they were not prepared for <laughs> was Jesus breaking out. After that, angels came and rolled away the stone. Now, the angels did not roll away the stone to let Jesus out. The angels rolled away the stone to let us in, to see that the tomb was indeed empty. John chapter 20 tells us the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, my voice won't sound as nice as Pam's was just a few minutes ago singing this passage of Scripture, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the first part of John chapter 20, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the gospel of John. John chapter 20, beginning verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't care who you are, guys are competitive with each other. This is John and Peter. John is writing the Gospel of John, and he wants everybody to know he and Peter took off to get to the tomb, but he got there first. And stooping to look in, he, this is John, verse 5, he saw, that word saw means a glance. He glanced in very quickly. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Stood there, glancing in, trying to figure out what was going on. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. So while John was standing at the door, Peter, who John made clear was behind him because he was slower, Peter got there and went right by John into the tomb. Verse 6 says, he, this is Peter, saw a word that means not a quick glance, but a studied observance. Peter studied the linen cloths that were lying there. Whatever it was, he, it caught his gaze, and, and Peter gazed at, looked at, studied, saw, tried to make sense of what this was in front of him. 
Verse 7, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Almost as if it was completed, instead of just dropping it, it was folded and placed nicely off to the side. Verse 8, then the other disciple, again, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw, studied it, observed it, tried to make sense of it. He saw it and believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. For as yet they, this is Peter and John, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I want you to read that last part with me. He must rise from the dead. Now we're going to read it again, but this time the must is going to be emphasized by how we say it because it's not just that he rose from the dead, but that he must rise from the dead. Why must he rise from the dead? Because he's the Savior of the world. If he had not risen from the dead, there would be no saving. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no, no, no empty tomb. There would be no hope for us. So, so for us to have hope, he must rise from the dead. Amen? So when we say must again, I want you to really bust out on must. Is that okay if I say it that way? All right. That he must rise from the dead. Then they went back to their homes. Our Heavenly Father, today, the day of all days, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, help us to recognize not only that you must rise from the dead, but that you did rise from the dead. And because of that, we have hope. Hope of forgiveness of our sins. Hope of eternal life, hope that this world is not all there is, hope that there's a meaning and a purpose to life. We have hope together with others that our God lives and reigns and rules and has made a place for us in heaven and that one day we can go there because we, like John and like Peter and like so many others, simply believe. May we believe today and may it impact every area of our life and may it be for your glory as we pray in the name of our Savior, risen from the dead, Jesus. Amen. All right, please be seated. So Jesus is risen, and after he was risen, I want you to notice, he began appearing to people. People began to see the risen Savior. For example, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Notice verse 11 of John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body had, of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Why didn't she know? Because Jesus had died. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized, hey, 
This is Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Say that with me. I have seen the Lord. And then Jesus appeared to the disciples. The disciples. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, later on the day, Sunday, the first day of the week, verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They had crucified Jesus where the disciples next. Are they coming after us? So they were in hiding. They had locked the doors. They were in fear of the Jews coming after them. And suddenly Jesus came and stood among them and said to those who were in fear, he said, peace be with you. There's a sermon right there. In the midst of our fear, what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus again said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Jesus appears to his disciples. And then we see, after that, Jesus appeared again and addressed the doubts of Thomas. You know doubting Thomas, right? We all, we all, we're all quick to, to criticize doubting Thomas, but doubting Thomas plays a key role in our faith because we have all doubted ourselves, and it's good to see that somebody who was there also had some doubts and that those doubts were met and, and, and uh, uh, addressed by Jesus. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not there, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I'm not just going to take your word for it, guys. I have to see. I have to touch. I have to feel. If I can't see it, if I can't feel it, if I can't be there in his presence, I will never believe. That's a significant statement. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, you remember Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand out and place it in my side. And then Jesus said this, do not disbelieve, but believe. Don't keep on disbelieving. Stop your disbelieving in the message of the risen Savior and start believing the message of the risen Savior. And Thomas answered, as only you can in that instance, my Lord and my God. Why did he say that? Because Jesus had been risen from the dead. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Christ the Lord 
is risen. And our only response is hallelujah. I'll say the first part. You say the second. Christ the Lord is risen. Hallelujah. Now, now, now that's the story. That's what happened in John chapter 20. And it's important that we recognize the events of that day. Now, now, Matthew and Mark and Luke all have additional information, but that is the gist of the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to take now the second part of the message today is to talk about the importance of the resurrection in our faith. Of all the things Jesus did, of all the things Jesus said, the central point of our faith is not the feeding of the 5,000. But that was an awesome miracle. The central part of our faith is not the healing of the man born blind, although that is an awesome miracle. The central part of our faith is not the, the great sermon on the mount, although that is great teaching from the Son of God. The central part of, of our faith Faith is not that Jesus raised the dead uh, in his day with a miracle. That's not the central part of our faith. The, the only core central part of our faith is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world, who died on the cross for our sins, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the core of our faith. And there is no other part of our faith uh, that, that, that is comparable to that great truth. For without the resurrection, there is no faith. Now, the resurrection is the message of the church. In the days of Jesus, in the days of the New Testament church, throughout history and today. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important message in the church. Everything else is secondary, and without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Now let me give you an example from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're about 20 years in the future from the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died about A.D. 33, somewhere in there, and this, the letter to the Corinthian church was written about 20 years later, in the early 50s. And so, so in those 20 years, the message had gone out, the church had been established, and now Paul, the great apostle, the, the missionary, is writing a letter to the church located in Corinth about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find these words, beginning in verse number 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance, of most importance, what I also received, that... Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now let me pause very briefly and say this. The Christ, Jesus, died, and He died because the Scriptures, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, predicted and prophesied that God would send a Messiah who would die for our sins. Not just that He would die, but that He would die for us. And so, so the, the, the scriptures testify that the Christ would die. And, and I'm telling, Paul is saying, I'm telling you now that Christ, Jesus, did die. He was the Christ for our sins. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Because the Old Testament scriptures not only prophesied that he would die, but also that he would live again. And so the New Testament church was tying that event of the resurrection back to the Old Testament, but also testifying that this was true 
in their experience and is of first importance in the church. And notice starting in verse 5, that he appeared, Jesus appeared to Cephas or Peter. And then Jesus appeared to the 12, verse 6. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, we're only 20 years past the resurrection. And that church in Corinth is saying that after Jesus was raised, there's a record that on one occasion, that's not in the Gospels, on one occasion Jesus appeared to 500 followers at once. Many of those followers are still alive and can testify. I saw the Lord. Now some of them, he says here, have fallen asleep. Some have died. But there are some who saw the risen Savior. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Jesus appeared here and here and here and here. It wasn't just the word of a few people saying that he had been raised from the dead. There were hundreds of people that saw him and could testify, I saw the Lord raised from the dead. And so that is of first importance. Now also in 1 Corinthians 15, a couple of verses later, it's interesting to note how quickly some begin to fall away from this message. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, verse 4 and the Gospels and everywhere else, if Christ is proclaimed as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In writing to this church that gathered together, Paul is saying, listen, Christ died According to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And a bunch of us, hundreds in fact, we've seen him. How come some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead? That's the question he asked. Then verse 13 he says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, if it's true, if you're saying that there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then certain things would be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. He then outlines nine things that are true if there is no resurrection of the dead. A, a, a message that was going around. Just as the message of the resurrection was taking place, there was also those saying, nobody's raised from the dead. Nobody can be raised from the dead. And if it is true that Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then several things are true. The first thing we see in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If, if there is no resurrection from the dead, and if, if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain. In vain meaning in, there's no success. Our preaching is without success. Our preaching is meaningless. And then your faith is in vain. You believe for no reason. It's pointless. Then, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. If there's no resurrection of the dead and Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we who are preaching, we're misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, the fifth thing that's true. For if the dead are not raised, again, verse number 5, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, then your faith is futile. You believe it for no good reason. All this believing in Jesus is of no value whatsoever if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And then, number 7, then you're still in your sins. 
Because we're preaching to you that Christ died for your sins and was raised from the dead. Well, if he was not raised from the dead, guess what? You still have sin upon you. You're still guilty before God. And, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ, they're gone. If there's no resurrection of the dead and Jesus has not been raised, then all those in these 20 years at that time who have died in faith, they're gone and there's nothing that can be done. Never see them again. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only. In other words, if there's no resurrection and our faith in Christ is only good while we're alive and then we die and that's it. If that's true, number 9 in verse 19 says, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're pitiful. If there's no resurrection of the dead and if Jesus has not been raised, then we are the laughing stock of history and the lacking stock of the world. It is bad if there's no resurrection of the dead. There is no faith. There is no Christianity. There is no hope for tomorrow. There is no forgiveness of sins. We're still guilty before God if there's no resurrection. We're in bad shape if there's no resurrection. Oh, oh then verse 20. Let me, let me get to verse 20. <laughs> but... But, read that with me. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised. Therefore, let me go back over this list again. In, in light of the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, testified to by hundreds, testified to from the Old Testament, testified to by the eyewitnesses, if and since Christ has been raised from the dead, then we know this. Our preaching has great value. Not because of the preacher, but because of the message, which is that Christ has been raised from the dead. Your faith has great value, and it is successful to bring about the forgiveness of your sins. We don't misrepresent God. In fact, we adequately present God to you because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Our faith is rewarded. It is not useless and futile. Our, our sins have been forgiven because Jesus has been raised from the dead. We are, uh, we are also going to be raised and our loved ones who have died in faith, they didn't just perish. They're with the Lord in heaven and we have hope to be there with them one day. And instead of us being the ridicule of the world and of history, Instead of us being pitiful, we're actually to be the most admired people. Not because of any accomplishment that we've done, but because we have believed and our sins are forgiven and we're going to heaven. And the message goes out, don't you want to be like us and believe in him? Aren't you thankful that Christ has been raised from the dead? And the impact that that has on your life and my life and on the life of all who put their faith and their trust in Him. Now let me briefly share the third point of the message this morning, and that is the purpose of the Gospel of John. Beginning before Christmas, we began covering one chapter of the Gospel of John each week, one picture of Jesus. And, and it's been very difficult for me to leave out the material I've left out, and it's been great, a great joy to me to share with you the message each week from the different chapters of the Gospel of John. We've spent now, this is our 20th week working through this book, the Gospel of John. And next week, next Sunday, we're in chapter 21, the last chapter of the Gospel of John. We've put a lot of effort, a lot of time. I've put a lot of study in this. I've shared, I've shared passionately with you every single week. 
Why? Why? Why the gospel of John? Why this story of Jesus? Why this emphasis on this gospel? And, and I, I would say this to you. The gospel of John was written for one purpose and one purpose only. Not as a history lesson. The gospel of John was written so that the readers of the gospel of John might believe the message of the gospel of John. Let me share with you Verses 30 and 31 there in John chapter 20. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. John said, I didn't write down everything that he did. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have other things. They have some of the things that John wrote. They have other things as well. There are many things that Jesus did and said that did not make it into the gospel. But these things are written. So that you may. See, these things in the gospel of John, what, what, what John is saying, what I have recorded for you are written down for one purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and I and they may have life in his name. Why do we have the gospel of John? Why do we present the gospel of John? Why do we present the scriptures each week? Why do we tell the message and the story of Jesus? For one reason only, that you and I might believe. Not that we just simply become better people. Not that we memorize scripture. Not that we learn a few songs when we come to church on Sunday morning. Not that we, not that we put biblical principles into life. And, and, and all those are wonderful things. But that these things are written so that we might believe. Notice the next part. And that by believing, we may have life in His name. Abundant life now and eternal life then. You might be saying, well, well Pastor Mark, well, what, how do I know that John has written that we might believe? Well, let me just do a little run-through of the Gospel of John for just a few moments and share with you just a few of the verses that speak about belief. Because the purpose of believing is displayed all throughout the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 7. There at the very beginning, we see the purpose. He came as a witness. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that's Jesus, that all might believe through him. There at the very beginning, it tells us the purpose of this book, the purpose of this testimony is that people might believe the Gospel. Chapter 3, verse 16. You might have heard that verse before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, what, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us that belief delivers us from the condemnation of a just and holy God upon our sins. Belief delivers from condemnation. Notice what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Chapter 6, verse 29, This is the work of God for all of you who want to do something in order to be saved. Here it is, that you believe. In him who he has sent. Chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you 
believe this? Do you believe this? Notice how personal the scripture gets. Not just that do we believe this, but do, do you believe this? Chapter 14 and verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Chapter 19 and verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. I'm telling you these things, John says, so that you can believe. Chapter 20 and verse 8 we read today. He saw and believed. Chapter 20, verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Chapter 20 and verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you understand how it all comes together? Do you see this thread of belief all the way through the Gospel of John at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 7? This happened so that you can believe, and at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, these things are written so that you can believe, and everywhere in between, so that you can believe, so that you can have life, so that you can have forgiveness, so that you can go to heaven, so that you can escape condemnation. All this happens when you believe. It is essential that we believe. I wonder today, do you believe? Not do we believe, not does your family believe, not does your husband or wife or your kids or your parents believe, but do, do you believe? Has there been that time and that place where you have said, yes, Jesus, I believe? Not that I've attended church, not that I've put a dollar in offering plate, not that I've, I've shaped up my life and turned over a new leaf, not that I've got some new church clothes. None of those things uh, matter compared to belief. Has there been that time when you have said, yes, Lord, I believe? What is belief? Belief is as easy and as simple as ABC. But it is also very essential what belief stands for. A, that we agree. That we agree with God about our condition. Remember in John chapter 3 and verse 18, Jesus said, If, if you have, have not believed, you are condemned already. Why are you condemned already? Because of sin. And to agree with God that I have, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself, and I need a Savior, is essential to believing. I believe. I agree with God, A. B, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place and for my sins, and that on the third day He was raised from the dead, and He's alive. I believe that. And C, confess. I confess that. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will have entrance into heaven. You will be a child of God. You will become a Christian. Say it however you want to, but confessing uh, that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart and agreeing with God that you're a sinner, all those play together and believe and say, Yes, Lord, I believe. So the question is, do you believe? Has there been that time and that place? Today in our 1045 service, we're going to baptize four of our students. It's going to be exciting. And I'm going to put a picture on the screen there. You see a, a picture from a previous baptism uh, that we had out there. And, and uh, go ahead and show that next slide also. Uh, there's Jeanette. And, and I, I love this picture for a couple of reasons. One is I just love Rodney. Any picture I see of Rodney, I just love Rodney. But I want you to notice Jeanette just been baptized. 
She's not concerned about her makeup in that picture, is she? She looks beautiful and looks fine. She's not concerned about her hair in that picture. It's wet. It's laid back on her head. What's on her face? A smile. Do you know why a smile is on her face? She knows. And it wasn't the baptism that saved her, but the baptism that represented the fact that Jesus died for her sins. And she was agreeing and believing and confessing. And she was identifying herself with Christ who died for her that she might be raised from the dead one day. Isn't that exciting to know? Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're anywhere in between, those who agree, those who believe, and those who confess are those who take the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I wonder today, have you believed? Just before we sing our last song, I'm going to ask if heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a moment, just to be alone with yourself in the presence of the Lord. And I wonder today if you're here and you say, Yes, Pastor Mark, I have believed. And I'm so excited on this day of all days to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I've come to worship. I've come to sing. I've come to praise. I've come to rejoice that my sins are washed away. And if that's you today, let me celebrate with you and ask you even now just to whisper a prayer of thanks to God for dying for you in your place, for your sins and being raised from the dead, that you might have eternal life. And just, just thank Him for that. But then I want to ask you as a believer to do, do something very important during this moment. Would you pray right now for anybody in this place? You may know them by name. You may not know who they might be. But in a room this size on an occasion like this, there's at least one or two or five or more who've never come to the place of trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. You may have heard the message in the past, but boy, you've heard it today. The message of belief, the importance of the resurrection, and the fact that without faith in Christ, we are doomed. In fact, John chapter 3 says we are condemned already. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never committed your life to Christ in faith, you've never expressed your belief in Him, I want to give you an opportunity right now. What, what better day to say that I became a follower of Jesus Christ than the day we celebrate His resurrection from the dead? And so right now, if you're here and you have a desire in your heart to identify with Jesus and be a Christian, to be saved and delivered from sin. I would invite you right now to whisper a prayer in your heart to God. I'll say some words out loud, and you can use those same words in your heart. The words are, 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 are nothing magical about them. It just simply expresses the truth of the Bible. And if you will pray those words, believing in your heart, according to the Scripture, you will be saved. It goes something like this. And if you want to be saved, just join me in praying this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Son of God that you came into the world and that you love me. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place and for my sin and that you were raised from the dead. And right now, Jesus, as best I know how, I believe in you, and I confess you as my Savior. And I thank you that you have saved me and forgiven me. And you now walk with me every day. And one day, you will take me to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Today, 
if this has been a great day to worship, if you've renewed and been encouraged in your faith, if you've prayed and trusted Christ in the moments as we prayed a minute ago, I want to invite you to respond in faith and in obedience to what God has called us to do. I'm going to ask Rodney, if you will, to come and stand here at the front, and he'll be available as we sing this last song. He'll be available after the service as well. But uh, as he does and as we sing, I would invite you simply to come. You may want to come and just kneel and pray. You may want to come and speak to Rodney and ask him to pray for you. You may want to come and let Rodney know, or Al, either one, or one of our deacons or leaders in the church, and say, hey, today, when Pastor Mark did that prayer, I believed. And I, want to, I need to let somebody know. So would all of you just join me in standing? And just before we sing, I'll have the privilege of praying for us. Thank you again, Jesus, for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you again, our Heavenly Father, for the joy that we have because of Jesus. And even now as we sing about the glories of the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb, Lord, may we respond not only today but in the days to come with faith and obedience for your glory. For anyone even now who's trusted Christ or just has a desire to come and pray, Lord, may this be their moment as you lead in Jesus' name. Amen.